Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. chapter 3 here, and we're down to verse 21, which is 21 through uh, 31 is just like an awesome text. Um, It's probably one of the most definitive treatments of the doctrine of salvation in the New Testament, compressed down to 10 verses, 11 verses, I guess. And uh, the only one that could pull that one off is the Holy Spirit. Paul wouldn't do it. But the Holy Spirit compresses really the whole theology of salvation, doctrine of soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, down to 11 verses. So we'll see how far we can get with this. What has Paul just done in the first section of Romans? When you get to Romans 3.20, where, where do we stand? Yeah, we're in trouble. Remember the word they're used that every mouth may be stopped is the, the gavels come down, you've been declared guilty, there's no more defense. You have no defense. And again, you know, you run into people say, well, when I have my day with God, I'll sort of talk my way out of things. No, you won't. <laughs> God's got the goods on you. See, now what we can do in our legal system is you can get evidence thrown out or disqualified or whatever. In God's court, there is no no mitigating circumstances. Are you guilty? Yes, no. Did you do it? Yes, no. But, but, but I had a hostess Twinkie and I, nope. Did you do it? Yes, no. Nothing else matters. God is a God of infinite justice, perfect justice. We don't need any witnesses there. There's no witnesses. He's got the books. He can pull up any episode of your life at any point in time and replay it for the entire creation to see. There's nothing hidden from him. See, see, we can hide things from each other, and we do that. I mean, if, you know, one of the things, and just as a side, you know, sometimes I, I listen to people say, well, you know, you need to be perfectly transparent with each other. As Christians need to be transparent. I hope not. I mean, I understand what they're trying to get at, that you need to be honest, but you don't want me to be perfectly transparent, and you don't want to be perfectly transparent. All right, because of the fallenness that we're in, right? We're in a fallen world, we're in a fallen state. I cannot be totally 100% transparent. That would not work out very well. People might be shocked. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you thinking what? On Sunday, we can look pretty good. Yeah, all of us can do that, you know. But the point is, with God, He knows it all, He sees it all, He understands it all. And at the end of Romans 3.20, Paul says, He basically rests his case as the prosecution and says all that's left is a sentence. The judgment is in. You're guilty. You have no defense. There's no defense. You're nailed. Mea culpa. I did it. But then he says in verse 21 a couple of just wonderful words. But now. But now, just two simple words, very simple words in the Greek, day, noon, but now. You're in trouble, but now something has come in to help. See, you can't get to the but now until you understand the pickle you're in. You don't need it, yeah, you don't need it. You don't know you need it until you know what the jam you're in, see. And what Paul has to do, and again, like we said last week, before you can get somebody saved, you've got to get them lost. Not that you save them, of course, but before God can save them, he's got to get them lost. So any gospel presentation that omits sin, repentance, your standing for God, your, your state of condemnation, it's not a gospel presentation. You can't. So when a certain pastor from Lakewood Baptist Church stands up and says, your wonderful life now, you're a good person, you just made a couple of mistakes, he's not preaching the gospel. you got to get them lost. 
before you can get him. God has to do that, right? That's what Paul's doing here. He's getting you lost. Because then you understand, wow, I need some help now. Because I can't, I can't get out of this jam. And Paul says, but now what has happened? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Manifested is a perfect tense verb, which means it's been revealed and it has continuing results right now. It's in the process. It's being revealed. It is, it is there. The righteousness of God is there. It's being made plain and open to people apart from the law. See, prior to grace, what is the only way to be right before God? Keep the law. All of it. Yeah. Perfectly. And even if you kept all the law perfectly, what do you got going against you? Romans 5. Born You're born in sin. All right, so even if, you, even if you're born and you never commit a sin, theoretically, you still, you're still got the condemnation of this. Uh, of you inherited, you're born in it. And what Paul is saying, the righteousness of God apart from the law and it's been shown to you it's apart from the law it's not by the law now he's going to develop this here and in chapter 4 right because <clears throat> here's a, here's the argument here's what the Jewish rabbis and Jewish people said I am made right by keeping the law now the problem with that is number one they didn't keep the whole law did they so they made rules that say, well, if you just intend to keep the law, that's as good as keeping it. Can you imagine telling the police officer, well, I meant to go the speed limit. I know it's going 120 and a 35, but I meant to go 35. Oh, that's okay. We'll let you off on this one. But then they now did sacrifice. <laughs> but then they did sacrifices to excuse them from. Yeah, and then they said, well, if I did the sacrifices, that covers. See, they created a system. That if they said, if I do this, 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 and this, I'm okay. It's like, the, I don't know a lot about the Catholic Church, but apparently in the Catholic Church, if you yeah. do certain things, or if it says you can go to the priest, confess, and they'll have you do yeah. a few certain things, and then you're supposedly forgiven. That's the, that's the um, sacrament of penance. <clears throat> Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Okay, go through 15 Hail Marys and climb four sets of stairs, and you'll be okay. All right, it's a very workspace system, you know, and that's easy for us because you know we can externally look at that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting in verse twenty, the end of verse six. Through the law, we become conscious of sin, uh, and then the latter part of verse twenty-one, uh, and our righteousness of God, apart from law, is made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Yeah, that's the next part. Paul is saying this is not a new deal. The law and the prophets have it in already. Now, what to him, what is the law and the prophets? When he says law and prophets, what's he referring to? Uh, first the scriptures, the Old Testament. Okay. Now, he's going to illustrate this in chapter 4 using two people. All right. He's going to illustrate it with Abraham. Now, again, the Jew thought we are declared righteous by keeping the law. What's the problem when it comes to Abraham? and the keeping of the law. When did Abraham live? 430 years before the law ever came about, Abraham existed. So the question then is, how can Abraham keep a law that hadn't been given yet? It wasn't by the law, because there was no law for him to keep. And it wasn't by circumcision, He's going to talk about that because he was declared righteous before he was circumcised. So it's not by the law. It's not by circumcision. How do you know that Abraham was declared righteous before there was a law and before he was circumcised? Because he did what was right in God's sight. Yes. It can't be by the law. It can't be by the legal code. And then he talks to David. And what about David? What did David do? What's his great black eye? Bathsheba. Um, under the Old Testament law, if you committed adultery, was there a sacrifice you could bring to take care of that sin? I don't think so for that. 
What's the penalty? Yeah. Yeah. So how did David skate by? Because he was a king. He was powerful. Well, it was that, but what did, what did he do? What did God do? Well, he punished him. Well, God punished him, but God did not exact the penalty that was due him. But was David a man after God's own heart? Well, how can David be a man after God's own heart and yet commit that sin which, for which there is no sacrifice in the law for? God knew David's heart, and we're going to find out later in this passage. David did not get away with sin. That sin was paid for. The Bible says that God, through the forbearance, he put up with it because he knew someday what would happen. But he was going to pay, you know, Christ, would pay for it. Christ would pay for it. But the point that Paul's trying to make is, you guys think... That righteousness comes by the law. That's what you've been taught your entire life. Let me tell you something. It's not. It's witnessed by the law and the prophets. This is not something I've just come up with on my own. It's not a new idea. It's there all along. And if you want to know who's a good primary example of that, look at Abraham and look at David. Who's the, who's the, big, who's the three big figures in Jewish history? Abraham? No. Moses and David. He said the law and the prophets witnessed to this. How was Rahab justified? She didn't know the law, right? How was Cain just, or not Cain, Abel justified? He did what God told him to do. The, the point that Paul's making is you guys got this all wrong. You've created this works righteousness system, which is really based on fiction because it doesn't exist. It's not there. In fact, the, the real thing that's there is that God's righteousness is not made available to you by what you do. It's by God's grace. He's going to explain that. Well, they created the law themselves. God gave them what? God gave them the Ten Commandments, he gave them the legal code, but then they said, okay, what does it mean not to work on Sabbath? Oh, I can't walk uh, X number of feet. So they went from a, a one yeah. sentence to a couple pages to a couple books to... Well, we're, we're used to that, right? Mm -hmm. The Bible says, you know, keep yourself from the world. What does that mean? Okay, we can't go to movies, we can't smoke, we can't go with girls who do, we can't dance. We've had that in our life. We've had that in our past year, right? The ten became 613. Which became... Thousands. And they would argue. They would argue. Yeah, they would sit there and they'd argue all day long. What does it mean to not work on the Sabbath? And they missed the whole point of it. But we do the same thing. A lot of people do. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How do you get this righteousness? Through faith in Christ. That's it. See, here's the deal. Here's the deal. There's only two possible paths to being righteous before God. One, keep the whole law and not have the imputed guilt of Adam, which is what? Possible. Can't do it. Or two, the righteousness of God. There is no other alternative. And remember, that's what Paul said in Philippians. He said, when I stand before God, I don't want to have my own righteousness, which is sort of by the law, because that's not good enough. But I want the righteousness of Christ. That's the only one that's going to help me. I'm not, this righteousness by the law doesn't work. There is a sort of righteousness by the law, right? Sort of. It's just not good enough. It's not going to save you. It's not going to make you right before God. The righteousness of God, the righteousness that God gives to you, the righteousness that God imputes to you. He's going to develop this later. Well, like you said earlier, you know, no one can keep a perfect law. The only one is Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because he did not have the imputed guilt of Adam. Why is the virgin birth important? To demonstrate he is with He's born without sin. He's born without sin. If he had a human father, he would have had the imputed guilt of Adam. He had imputed corruption. He would not be our perfect substitute. 
The virgin birth is a, is a necessary component of what it means for him to be Christ, to be God. Mm -hmm. And that righteousness is helping to pull us through. Yeah. To me, it's just fascinating because I'm, I'm as, as you guys are talking, I'm thinking about the law. I'm thinking about uh, the Jewish faith and people trying to keep the law spiritually. And the Catholics, I grew up that way. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You want to. You want to. If, if you love someone, you want to make them happy, you want to do that which brings them joy. Yeah. Right. Right. That's the thing you come across when you're trying to witness to someone. They want, they'll, first they'll say, well, I'm not good enough. I have to, I have to clean my act up. I have to get better before, before mm -hmm. I can, you try to explain to them, no, 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 <laughs> come just as you are. You know, right. like God said, takes you where you are, and then he moves you forward. He may, not he, may not change, he may not change you, what you, some of your habits, the things you do immediately. No. I've heard of people who it happened that way, apparently, yeah. but a lot of times he has to work in our lives. It's a process. I mean, we make the decision, and then God works in our lives after that. Yep. Well, to those that, you know, think that way, that I don't, I'll try to be good, but I don't know. Can't be good enough. There is a way you can know for sure. Yeah. Well, see, we have this idea that, you know, we've got this massive debt with God, but if I do a good deed, he erases some of the debt. Oh, no, yeah. he doesn't. That's what you should be doing. You should be doing a good thing. You don't get you don't get your debt erased because you pay, you know, I can't go to the department store and have them erase some of my debt because I paid cash for the item today. It's not a, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a zero sum game. I mean, we have this infinite debt that we owe God that we can't pay back. That's why Jesus had to pay. It. He had yeah. to pay it. Yeah, it's like a balance scale. So yeah, debts and, and good deeds, but we have we have debts over here, but then we have Christ over here that yeah. cancels all those debts we have. Yep. Fortunately, the righteousness of God. See, the point that Paul's making here: the righteousness that you need is not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of God that you need. That's the only righteousness that's good enough. All right? For there is no distinction. What do you mean by no distinction? The word there is difference. There's no difference. Between Jew and Gentile. Between Jew and Gentile. See? See, the Jews had this idea, we're in, we're going to heaven, the Gentiles are going to hell. We're God's people. We have the law. We've been circumcised. We're in. And Paul is saying, you know, there's no difference between the Jew and Gentile when it comes to this deal. 
The righteousness of God comes on both equally. How is Rahab a, har a, a pagan harlot, prostitute? How was she justified? What put her in the messianic line? God's grace. Did she believe? Yeah, she did. What did she believe? Not much. She didn't know much, right? What did Ruth know? Not a lot. But she was part of the Messianic line. Why? Because she believed. And God counted to them for righteousness. What did Abraham know? He didn't know much at all. He told, this voice from heaven said, I want you to leave your father's house and go to a land I will show you a thousand miles across the fertile crust. It was a thousand mile trip. And that day, you just didn't hop in a car and zip out there. You know, It took a long time to get there. He left his home, he left his family, left his roots. And that's about all he knew, right? He didn't know much more than that. We think that Abraham talked to God every day. Abraham, we have three or, three or four recorded occurrences where God talked to Abraham in the Scripture. That's it. But yet, what did he do? He did what God told him to do. The problem we have today, Alan, is we have too much more evidence for us to fall back on with the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. That they didn't have back then, like you said, like you're saying, what did Abraham have? You know, you think just talking with God and doing what God said. Yeah. And we have all this evidence in Scripture that's going before us. And we don't believe it. Yeah. It's interesting, Christ had some, I don't know, nicknames he gave people. What did he call the um, disciples on many occasions? Oh, ye of. Little faith and said, You lunkheads, you're watching me do all of this stuff and you don't have a faith to believe. And I go up here to the Syrophoenician woman, she doesn't know much about me at all other than I can heal her and she's, she's got great faith. Why? What made her faith great and there's little? It's not, it's not how much evidence you have, it's what do you do with what you got. That's what makes great faith. What do you do with, the, with, with what you got in front of you? Are you going to make. Are, that's what gives you great faith. Rahab didn't know anything other than God beat up the Egyptians 40 years ago. The Israelites are like coming in. I'd rather be on their side than my side. I don't know any much more than that. I think that's a Roman centurion. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go. I can, I can, and Christ, Christ said, finally, somebody believes me for crying out loud. You know, I got these 11 guys here, 12, that don't believe anything. And here's finally somebody that at least believes me. It's interesting, all the, all the pagans in, that Christ came up with, the Syrophoenician woman, the centurion, um, Jairus, all of them, they're all pagans. They had great faith, and the 11 guys that are supposed to have faith in him were all ye of little faith. Well, some of them, I guess, who were doing the same thing as we do here, some of them, that God, wasn't God, our Father, doing it. It was, it was Satan or the devil. Mm -hmm. you know, he was working through the devil. He was not a, we can always explain it away. Yeah. You know, and I wonder, you know, just, just inside, I wonder, how many times does God do many miracles in our lives and we're just oblivious to what happened? I think when we get to heaven, God will, I'm, I'm sort of wondering, you know, if God will come over and say, let me show you what would have happened if I had done something different, how your life would have turned out. I don't know that. I don't know. I'm just wondering, sometimes we get so keyed in on what's going on around us that we fail to see what God may be doing around us. We just don't get it. We don't see it. Well, I think sometimes we get, we're looking for some you know, miraculous big light or something mm -hmm. and God's answering our prayers. Like he'll come out and say, okay, here's, I'm answering your prayer. Here it is. But many times he does, he has answered our prayer. How many times has, how, how many times has God answered your prayer the way you think he should have done it? Probably never. <laughs> okay, so, all right, so I've been a Christian for 40 or almost 50 years. You've been a Christian how many years? Okay, 60 years, okay. Let's say 40, 40, so I'm doing the math now, 200, 340. Okay, we've got about, you know, 250 to 300 years of Christian experience being Christians in this room, and none of us have ever had Christ or God answer the prayer the way we thought he should. But he always answers it, doesn't he? But it's never the way you think it should be. You look back. Find it. Sometimes you, can, you look back and say, oh, he did answer. He did answer my prayer. I just missed it. Yep. 
I missed it. I missed the answer because I was. That's not what I was looking for him. That's not the way I was looking for him to pull it off. But you look back and say, you know, he did answer my prayer. I think of that story of there was a major flood and yeah. the guy was sitting on his roof of his house. Oh yeah. And he and, it, and he was calling on God for help. God save me. God save me. And the guy comes by in a yeah. rowboat and he says. Uh, hey, jump in a boat. I'll, I'll, I'll take you up. No, God's going to save me. I prayed God's going to save me. Okay, your boat leaves. Next week, the guy comes by in a rubber boat and says, hey, jump in. Oh, no, God's going to save me. Yeah. Finally, comes back in a bigger boat. And he said, no, God, I prayed God's going to save me. And, and the water keeps rising. And finally, he's getting up so high. He says, God, God, I prayed. I thought you were going to save me. He says, I sent three boats to get you, and you didn't jump in. And I like, yeah, how much more can I do? Kind of, kind of that thing. It's paraphrased. Well, it is, but, you know, we laugh at that. But, yeah, how true is it? Yeah. yeah, that kind of story, the first thing I think of, you know, we sometimes we're looking for Fourth of July uh, explosion, you know, or just or a hand or a Yeah. Well, I think Instead of something. Well, think of the, yeah, think of the Israelites praying to God to deliver them from the Midianites. So God calls up Gideon. He gets, what, 30,000 guys? God says, too many. 10,000. Now nah, I still got too many. Whittled them down to what? 300 guys against 30,000? Yeah. yeah. And what happens? God gives them the victory. So sometimes I think. Yeah, I so think sometimes God yeah. sets things up so that when He does answer the prayer, we can sit back and say, you know, the only way I got out of that pickle is God had to do something because mm -hmm. there was no other way it was going to happen. <coughs> see? Because we like to think we did it, we got ourselves out of the jam. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of the hell free card. I wonder sometimes if, if uh, instead of faith, we get, we get uh, absorbed in fear. Mm -hmm. Well, here, I think God gives us. Abilities, the ability to do certain things too, to be right. able to do these things. Mm -hmm. God working through us if we're His children, you know. Well, the thing I've always prayed is the Shepherd's Prayer. Alan Shepherd, you know Alan B. Shepherd. Yeah. Alan B. Shepherd. Yeah, he was the first man in space. Yeah, I know, but and he was on the Mercury Redstone rocket. He's on the Mercury Redstone rocket okay. before he went up to do his, his spacewalk or whatever he did. And someone said, Which, what, did you, what were you doing while you were sitting there? He said, I, was, I, I prayed. I said, Lord, don't let me F this up. Sorry, I spent so much time. <laughs> yeah. Now, he used a word that I can't use here. I think he did. Yeah. But the basic idea, Lord, don't let me mess this up. And often I've, I've yeah. told people, I said, a lot of times, you know, there have been times in, in in my life where it's like, I'm not sure what I should do. Lord, don't let me make a mistake. Don't let me barge ahead and do something I, that I'm going to be sorry for. On the other hand, don't let me sit back and not do something I should be doing. And you know what? God has been good to me. He's answered that prayer on more, more than one occasion. I remember situations at Open Door where there was a temptation to do something. I said, Lord, don't let me mess this up. And he put the brakes on it. And I look back and say, wow, that, that avoided a disaster. See, I, I think, you know, God, so you have that balance. You know, we're getting a little off track here, but you have that balance where, I mean, look up Joshua. Joshua came in after Ai and said, Lord, what are you doing? The Lord said, what are you doing here? Go, they're sinning to camp. Now, there was something you had to go do, right? Take care of the sin in the camp if you want to win the battle. And sometimes God does that. But I found if I pray the prayer, you know, Lord, let me, don't let me mess this up. Let me do the right thing. You know, does, is God trying to hide his will from you and make it hard for you to figure it out? No, he's not. God wants you to do his will worse than you do. And if you're open to being taught that, and he, he will make it clear to you. But the Jews had this idea that we're Jews, we're in, we're okay, we got the law. Mm -hmm. 
And Paul is saying, wait a minute, the righteousness of God, which is the righteousness you need, is not by the law. It's witnessed by the law and the prophets. All right? And it's available to anybody who believes. For there is no difference. Why? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. He just talked about that. Every one of us has committed sin. All, all of us. And we have fallen short. And again, the word picture is to miss a mark, to fall short, to not get there. John MacArthur says it's like jumping to Catalina from Los Angeles. You know, you might get three feet out in the ocean, you might get four feet, but no one's going to make it 26 miles to Catalina. We're all going to fall short. We like to think, well, we'll get there. Well, we'll you know, well, I, I can jump fast. I can jump farther than the other guy. I can jump farther than the other guy. No. We all fall way short. All of us have sinned. Before Christ came and died uh, on the cross and had all this witnesses from his disciples and, uh, and others, and, and what about the Gentiles? Were they... Were the Gentiles saved? Is there a possibility for them Yeah, to be saved? they were saved by being part, being part of God's people, yeah. I mean, I think Nebuchadnezzar's in heaven. I think Naaman's in heaven. There's not a lot of them. Rahab's in heaven. If they believe, what happens? They're in. God worked through Israel, but see, Israel brought it on and says, well, we're God's chosen people. Isn't it great that we're in? And let's not tell anybody else. What were the Israelites to be, according to... New Testament. They were to be a what? A light to the Gentiles, right? It said they put their light under a bushel basket. Us four, no more, shut the door. We're the only ones in. I used to go to a church like that. You know, they were the only ones going to heaven, just about. And I found out there's a lot of Christians that aren't Baptists. Yes. Why? If you come the way of the cross, you're in. Right? Doesn't matter what you are. But it says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has not made it. All of us. We like to sit and compare ourselves. I can jump farther than the other guy. I'm a little better than them, so it's okay. No, God's, God's ruler is, is perfection, not better than someone else. Because here's the thing. You can always find somebody worse than you, can't you? can't compare ourselves and are justified by his grace as a what yeah how is it that you are declared righteous before God it is a gift freely yeah, now is it free is it free free Right. Why, why is it not free, free? Because yeah, pay somebody the paid the price for this deal. For yeah, I didn't pay the price for this deal, but that doesn't mean it's free, free. It, was, it wasn't totally free. Somebody, yeah. somebody paid the price for that. I'm justified right. freely by his grace. Me it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't free. free. I paid. The, the restaurant got their money. Yeah, the restaurant got their money. Yeah. See? We're freely justified by grace as a gift. It's not by works. See, here's the problem. Here's, here's really our problem. Deep down inside all of us, there's this idea that if it's free, it's not worth anything. I have to pay for it. I have to earn it. I deserve it. That's the humanness in us. Charles Spurgeon said, deep down inside all of us, there's this desire that we earned it. Our salvation is something that God owes me because of something I did. The idea that he just gives it to me is not acceptable to me. Right. Because there's a, there's a big part of us that wants to think God owes us. And it's not easy to 
because it gives us a sense of obligation. Right. 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 The point is there, there, there's this streak in us that thinks because I'm saved, somehow I am better, more deserving. I did something. When I think the scripture says very clearly, very honestly, very openly, multiple places, the only reason you're a believer is because God in his infinite grace, for whatever reason, decided to display his grace to you. And it's nothing you did. And don't go brag about it. Here it says, God did it for us. Yes. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's not you. That's humbling, isn't it? See, there's a streak in us that thinks, well, I'm a Christian because God saw something nice in me that he liked. No, he didn't. Our righteousness is filthy. <clears throat> and you don't want to know what that is a reference yeah, to. When he says filthy rags, he, that's, that's sort of a nice way of saying something very gross. Mm -hmm. Don't say it. Yeah. The point is, we think our righteousness is... is no, it doesn't. It, it does not count towards anything. And that's why you got to get somebody lost. You know, before you can get them saved, you got to get them lost to understand, I can't save myself, my righteousness isn't going to cut it, I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. the Imago Dei, but it's a shattered image. It's a distorted image. We are under sin. We are under rebellion. And if God doesn't do the work, we don't get anywhere. Justified freely by His grace through the redemption. The redemption there is a wonderful word. It means to be freed from. Apolutrosis. The idea there is buying something and setting it free. It's often used to refer to buying a slave and turning him loose. God bought us. Now, what did he buy us from? Sin. He paid the redemption price. All right? Now, here's the thing, and this, this is one of the differences, really, between a lot of systems of belief. God did not give a down payment, and we have to come up with the rest. It's not like God goes in, you know, you got a brand new Mercedes, it's a hundred grand, and God says, I'll pay $99,000 of that, you come up with a thousand and it's yours. Mm -hmm. Paid it all. Paid it all. <clears throat> Completely, fully. There's a song like that, I love that song, Jesus paid it all. He didn't pay some, he paid it all. Because there's nothing, I can't pay anything, I, I can't. There's nothing, I have nothing to come up with. I can't. I can't pay it. I don't have it. Jesus paid it, every bit of it. And the justification I get to be declared righteous before him, the word there, diakasune, means to be acquitted before the bar of God. This is the imagery that Paul is saying. The gavels come down, guilty. And God is ready to pronounce the verdict. What's the verdict? Guilty. And what is the penalty? Death. Death. And Christ comes along and says, let me pay the fine. Let me pay the fine. And God says, case dismissed. I, don't, I can't get over that. I stand, I stand guilty for God. I did it. And before the wrath of God falls on me, Christ comes up and says, wait a minute. Let me pay the penalty. And God says, case dismissed. You're free to go. But works, works is an easier concept for us to understand mm -hmm. than 
salvation and paying by faith, you know, it's a, it makes sense. I said, well, if I do enough good things, then I'll balance bad things. But it's hard some a concept to believe that all I have to, I just have to believe in God and accept segue. it. Huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, great segue to what I was just going to say. For it's by grace through faith we are saved. Papa was not by anything. Not any done. Faith is not a deed. No. Faith is a gift of God. Why do you believe? Because you're a brilliant person? Looking at some of you, I can guarantee that you're not brilliant. Looking in the mirror, I can guarantee you I'm not brilliant, all right? I can look in the mirror and I say, you know, son, it's not because you're a brilliant person that you're a Christian. Yeah, you're not. No, God, God, it's God's grace. It's God's grace. And that's something we need to ponder. And many times, you know, I think it, you know, there are days I think about why, why me? And I can't come up with a good reason other than God did it. It's not because of anything I did. It's not because of my good works. It's not because he liked me better than somebody else. God did it. He, it's a free gift. Ah, you just said it. Um, a, a little pet peeve of mine is the phrase free gift. A gift is free. Right. So don't say free gift. It can't be a gift <laughs> yeah. if it's not free. Mm -hmm. But that's just been the yeah. Yeah. thing yeah. Is, you know. What yeah, said, but, but we understand that somebody paid the price for that free gift. It's just being sandy. Right. Yeah. Right. But you're right. I mean, if you did that, it's either free you were, you were writing, or it's a gift. A, I mean, it's paper both, or something. Yeah. They might say, it's being no. redundant yeah. to say free right. gift. If you're writing a yeah. paper or something, you're taking right. it saying, why are you saying free gift? The gift is free. You know, like right. By definition, a gift is free. Right. right. And then let's look at verse 26. We'll stop here this week. Whom God has put forth as a propitiation. Wonderful word. Hilasterion. It was used in the Old Testament to refer to the mercy seat. Remember the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant? What, what did they do once a year on the mercy seat? And what did that do? Right. Paul is saying Jesus Christ is the propitiation. His blood is the satisfaction. <clears throat> now that's falling on hard times. <clears throat> if you're out in the Christian blogosphere, there's a lot of noise out there from even supposedly used to be what I would consider evangelical type people that are really attacking the whole substitutionary death of Christ. There are some that suggest that that's a picture of cosmic child abuse. God would never, God would never have his son die for us. That would be abusive for him to do that. Why waste time reading garbage like that? Because it is making significant inroads into the Christian thinking. Brian McLaren, who was behind, who was behind Bill Hybels and buddies with Bill Hybels at Willow Creek, and that came out and said, "This is cosmic child abuse. God would never do that. He would never punish Christ for my sin. That's not fair. That's not right. Why would God, Why would He do that? Well, what does Paul say? What is the propitiation? What is it that satisfies the wrath of God in this verse? And what does that blood refer to? The physical fluid? The death, right? It wouldn't have done any good for the priest in the Old Testament to just take a little bit of the blood out of the lamb and have the lamb trot off and put that blood. What did the lamb have to do? Right. But it wasn't just the death, it was also resurrection. It was the resurrection that validated it. <clears throat> but he's saying here, the propitiation by his blood to receive by faith, <clears throat> and 
And this was to declare God's righteousness. We'll talk about that next week. But here's the thing. Christ took my place. This is called the substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? He died in my place. Well, that's not fair. God was bad to do that. No. Did Christ, was Christ dragged to the cross unwillingly? What, did, what was he say? For the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. And by the way, when was this all set up according to 1 Peter 1? Before the foundation of the world. What existed before the foundation of the world? God. God. You get rid of the substitutionary atonement, you have no atonement. Well, that's a demonstration of God's love for us, too. Right. If he would use his son uh, yeah. to sacrifice that's right. as, as that God's demonstration, so knowing that he was going to resurrect him and mm -hmm. again to be back. What is, the greatest, what is the greatest picture God could do to show how bad our sin is? What he did. He died in my place. So when somebody comes along and says this whole substitutionary atonement thing, we need to get away from that and this blood, that's sort of an icky sort of picture of you've got to get off of that and that's cosmic child abuse. God would never do that. You just need to run the other way and just... So we would, for we, the idiots who believe that, thank goodness I don't think I've met one, uh, for the idiots who believe that, what then is salvation for them? I mean... That's a good question. Um, I don't know if you know that. Um, what's Ascension Church down in Furtick? Furtick? Oh, Steve Furtick. Yeah, he's a heretic on this. Church. Oh, yeah, this, this, this is him. He, he's in on this. Is he? Oh, yeah, yeah. You have no If you listen to him, shame on you. Um, I don't listen to him. Good. Yeah, this guy is a, this guy is a rank heretic. He is a rank heretic. Also, all right. Um, he's he's one of them. Who's the, who's the guy with the dreadlocks? White, Todd White. Is there a Todd White? He got dreadlocks. He has got. I forget. I think it's him. Um, but there's this. This is big. There's some big. This is the, there's a. This is not, you know, one little thing here and there. This is this is big. There's a lot of people. Rob Bell is in on this too. Okay. But he again, he was really again. This is. Our humanness, our humanness trying to explain things from our human right. mind and human standpoint. And you would, okay, in our mind and our logic, this God, why would God do this or what would he would do this? But so here I want to, yeah. this is what I feel because in my own mind as a human being, mm -hmm. that's not where right. our faith comes from. No. If you want to know what God will do, who do you ask? God. God. Don't ask yourself because you're not going to get the right answer. You're not. You're fallen. Your mind is not straight. You can't think. If you want to know what God's going to do, ask God what he's going to do. And this is what God said he was going to do. There are some people who are members of Open Door who love Steve Furtick. And I had already heard prior to today that there is heresy from his mouth. So how... Maybe he doesn't say it often. I mean, I'll so tell you. You're I'll, saying that he says that it's cosmic child abuse. Yes. So many words. Yeah. He believes that. Yeah. All right. I'll tell you what you need to do. Okay. Um, drop five dollars and ninety-nine cents for a one-month subscription to AGTV. Watch AGTV.com and watch Christ. Um, um, the American Gospel, Christ Crucified. If you don't do that, I have a, I have a DVD I will give you that you can watch. It's a two-hour discussion, and it shows these guys up there saying this. This is not me saying they said this. It's them in their own words. It's in their own words, them saying this. It's dangerous. It, it, it's, it's a damning gospel because there is no gospel. If Christ did not take my place, I'm not saved. Period. I have a DVD that you can borrow that, you know, yeah. Did you watch it, Dan? No, it is, it is, it is a must-see. It's a must-see. Now, you can get it. Um, 
if you go to watch AGTV, americangospeltv.com, um, it's, it's, a little, it's like a subscription service. It's like $6 a month or something like that. They've got thousands and thousands of good, solid Bible teaching videos. Steve Lawson, um, uh, they got uh, um, Alistair Begg on it. They got a whole ton, they got a ton of really good, solid... Huh? No, there's nothing wrong with him. I'm saying he's on there. Okay. Yeah, he, he preaches on there. He's got his... Okay. videos on there. Okay. They got a lot of good family videos, um, a lot of good teaching videos. You know, it's pretty, it's, it's good stuff. And um, the two things you need to watch probably are the American Gospel, Christ Crucified, and the American Gospel, Christ Alone. Both of those are, I, I would say they are must-watch videos. And it's like six bucks a month. I mean, it's not hard, it's hardly anything. What was the second one? Christ crucified. Christ crucified. What was the other one? Um, Christ alone. Yeah. Christ alone and Christ crucified. Now, if you go to YouTube, they got a free one-hour version of the two-hour oh. one on YouTube. Okay? But it's, they're, they're well worth it. Yeah. But it's shocking because, you know, and the reason I bring this up because, you know, we live in an isolated little bubble here sometimes. But out there... This idea that Christ paid my penalty for my sin as a substitutionary atonement is falling on hard times. They just so. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your teaching and um, for your word. And um, thank you for sending your son to take my place. I can't pay the debt. I, I just can't. But he paid it all for me, full price. And uh, he took my place. I want to thank you for that. Thank you for saving us and redeeming us and giving us your word. And I pray that you would guide us in our lives now. And uh, thank you again for this time of study in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.